Hey, this is Dewey from Pure Pleasure on Jabberjaw Media. I wanted to tell you guys about the Patreon for the show. It's called the Pleasure Seekers Club, and there's two levels. There's the $5 level and the $10 level. And all this is, guys, is to help support the show, help support the cost of putting the show out, um, you know, time spent uh, building the show, hosting costs, travel costs to do the in-person interviews that you guys like so much. Um, it all costs money. And I always try to find the best deal for sure uh, because I do have a day job as well. But having that support on the Patreon is definitely going to help bring more in-person interviews, more travel, more uh, updated uh, graphics, hosting, websites, all that stuff. So, um, And if you like the show, $5 a month or $10 a month really helps out. I know it's kind of uh, an interesting thing with the Patreon when something's already free. Uh, but it is always going to be free. But if you want to support the show a little bit more, I'd absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you can pay either $5 or $10 a month. We'll try to do some special things for the patrons as well as we go. Um, but it's just a way to support the show in a different way. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. That's the most important thing I can ask for. So definitely go over and check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Once again, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. Sign up today and join the community and help out the show. Keep it growing. And I thank you so much. Hey, this is Blasco, host of A New Level, part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. In a new level, I talk with my network of friends and colleagues who have worked with some of the biggest names in music, including Slayer, Pantera, Refused, Rob Zombie, and many more. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one.
Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, loyal listeners, to Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Adobe Radio and Jabberjaw Media. My name is Dewey, your host with the most, here to bring you more great content week after week. And this week we have the man himself, Mr. Kirk Huffman from Gatsby's American Dream, from KK and His Weathered Underground, from Wild Orchid Children, and most recently, Real Dawn Music out of Seattle, Washington. What a fantastic dude, a fantastic guest. Kirk and I have been buddies for a long time, since the Anatomy of a Ghost days. Uh, Fear Before the March of Flames introduced us to those guys. We played a show, I think it was called Lollapalooza, at Pacific Lutheran University up in uh, somewhere in Washington. Anyway, we were listening to that uh, Gatsby's American Dream first record, Why We Fight, and then Ribbons and Sugar, pretty much on repeat in our van and uh, met up with those guys, became uh, best of friends, and just had a blast with those guys constantly. I mean, anytime we got together, it was uh, just a good time. Whether we were staying with them up in Washington when we were playing up in the Seattle area or Bellevue at the rec center. I mean, we played all over the place with those guys, Grange Halls. I mean, anywhere you could have a show, we played there with those guys. And it was always Anatomy of a Ghost, Gatsby's, and uh, Fear Before the March of Flames back before they were fear before and uh just a great group of dudes and kirk uh, has always been fascinating to me because uh going from being the bass player and uh one like a, a backup songwriter kind of for gatsby's bobby wrote most of the material but going from that to orchestrating these amazing pieces of music with kk and his weather underground and now with real dawn music just showing his talents and what he has to offer, I mean, it's fantastic, the stuff he's doing, the stuff he's done. He was our first buddy we saw on TV, on Carson Daly, uh, with KK and his Weathered Underground. If you have not heard any of these bands I'm mentioning, check them out. They're absolutely amazing. And just what an awesome career. And Kirk is an awesome dude. He's a parent. Uh, he's married up in Seattle now. And, I mean, life just goes on, and, and he hasn't stopped doing music. And uh, I'm glad he hasn't because he's putting out great material. And, and uh, I love this dude. And I'm stoked for you guys to hear this conversation because he's an awesome guy and, and just a, a blast to, to talk to. And his stories are hilarious. There's some pretty fucking hilarious stories on this episode and a lot of reminiscing. So hopefully you guys are in for, in for a treat here. So let's get some business out of the way before we jump into this conversation as always we are on purepleasurepodcast.com we are on instagram we are on twitter we are on facebook we're on google play stitcher everywhere podcasts are available check it out tell a friend don't forget to rate and subscribe those five-star reviews really help us on itunes there's all sorts of algorithm shit that that goes into i don't want to have to explain because uh, I don't even understand it. But they help us out. They help us with chart position. They help us with, uh, you know, getting the the name out there, the word out there about the show. Uh, and we love bringing the show to you week after week and love that the numbers are growing and you guys are listening and giving us feedback. So keep that coming. Keep the emails coming to peerpleasurepod at gmail.com. Guest ideas, comments, questions. I love all of it. I try to respond to everything. And I think I'm doing a pretty good job at getting back to everybody in a timely timely manner but uh this episode did go a little bit long so if you're listening on adobe radio you're going to get the first hour of the interview and then uh you need to go to itunes or anywhere podcasts are available and download the full version um just want to give you a heads up on that if you are listening anywhere else you are getting the full version no need to go and search out more so 
We are sponsored by Rockabilia.com. Rockabilia.com has over 500,000 items, all licensed from the artists. This is some amazing stuff. They're sending us some stuff this week. I've been using Rockabilia since I was a teenager, and they've been around forever. They've got a great name. They've got a great reputation, and they will continue continue to do so. Uh, we're very glad to have them on board. They sponsor the show and the network, and Frankie over at Rockabilia has been doing a great job. So cheers to him, and go check out rockabilia.com right now for your favorite band merchandise, licensed and real. This is totally legit. Check out rockabilia.com. All right, guys, so I do not want to hold you off any longer. Let's get into my conversation with Mr. Kirk Huffman from Real Dawn Music. What's up, Kirk? What's up, dude? <laughs> How you doing, man? How you doing? <laughs> doing great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. Oh, hell yeah! I'm doing good. Just uh, doing the old back-to-back interview madness. Trying to that's cool. Trying to make uh, everything fit and uh, keep everyone happy and and uh, yeah. So Sundays, I haven't done Sundays in a while, but for some reason today just happened to be the one. So I've been doing it, you know, in between whatever. And this, I just did, uh, Tim from under oath and, uh, he, uh, I think he's in Florida. So he was, yeah, it was a time zone thing. And then it's like noon on Sunday. Wow. That's nap time for the kids. I think that'll work. And then I was like, man, we could do everything right here. So, (laughs) As you oh, yeah. as you well know, I'm sure being a dad yourself, but Dude, totally right on. <laughs> well, well, Kirk, I wish you'd take more naps. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, I wish ours would stay asleep. Yeah, it's getting it's getting to the point now where they don't need them anymore. But they, uh, we still yeah. try. <laughs> awesome. Totally. Well, Kirk Huffman, man, welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Um, yeah, I, it was really nice to hear from you and, and get this offer. So, oh yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. I reached out on Instagram first, and I didn't hear back, and I was like, ah, he probably doesn't read his Instagram messages, and so I reached out on Facebook, and and uh, there you were. Yeah, uh, I'm not, but you know, uh, DMs are for like all the dudes I work with who are single and in their early twenties. 
Yeah, I just uh, I was uh, I was super stoked that you wanted to do it too because I I mean we haven't I haven't seen you in a long time. I mean I think the last time I saw you was uh, at a KK show back at the Vera Project, and I think I think oh, that was crazy. the last time, and that was uh, wild. I don't remember if we were just there or if we played or what, but I don't. Uh, yeah, I think that's the last time the last time I saw you because um, yeah. that's wild. Yeah. So. When you hit me up, I I just yeah. When you when you hit me up, I immediately just thought of all of um, um, crushed all the shows we played with Anatomy at that upstairs thing <laughs> in Portland. Yeah, that was always super sweltering hot. Yeah, that's a condo now. It's a single. That's the funny thing. <laughs> it's a it single is. condo. It's it's literally just one. Yeah, and it's it's yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, I I brought my kids down there. I was like, Dad used to play here, and, and yeah, sweltering is is an understatement. Uh, that place was a night. I think there was like a little vent in the roof that could open up, and that was about okay. it. And maybe a couple windows in the back room, but yeah. Jesus Christ, that place was awful. Super but dangerous. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Super dangerous from loading oh, yeah. up those horrible stairs, or or yeah, the stage was literally like it was elevated like six inches. It was falling apart. Yep. Like, oh my god, yeah, I, oh shit. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, so to 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 put it for the listeners, I mean, so you were in Gatsby's American Dream. That's where you and I met, and uh, I think Johnny yeah. was so Johnny now from Portugal. The man uh, was the singer for Anatomy of a Ghost. And I don't remember if he met Bobby or Nick first, but he brought into the van the uh, the Why We Fight record from Gatsby's, and he's like, "You got to hear these guys; okay. they're awesome." And I think they may have he may have heard of you guys through the Fear Before guys, and so we started listening to the Gatsby stuff in the van all the time. Like John, John would get fixated on things. I think he still does, but he would he would uh, it was the Gatsby's records first, and and it was the, going back and forth between Ribbons and Sugar. And why we fight, mm-hmm. and uh, which Ribbons and Sugar is one of my favorite records to this day. But the awesome. he would play them constantly, and then he'd get on a kick with like Kansas and play Kansas constantly, and then we get like the I think we got the first Mars Volta record on a CDR, and it wasn't completed; it was leaked. It was not; it didn't have any effects on it or anything. And we literally played that until it basically broke. Like it was just this crazy <laughs> obsessive deal. But he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna play with these guys at." Uh, god pacific lutheran university or something like that and uh yes i think i remember that for sure Lollapalooza, i think they called it and i'm I'm, it's all coming back to me now but like that's where i think (laughs) we actually met you guys like as a band and then i think we played some grange halls and shit but uh yeah (laughs) yeah i just i just have a lot of memories of like playing all these dotted like corners of the northwest with you guys um grange halls are totally like yeah I just think of like a Tony Grange Hall show with yeah. you guys, Roseburg, and all the weird little towns, and and uh, it was always yeah us at Fear Before and you guys, and yeah yeah I think I was gonna say once you were like I think John had gotten the stuff from Fear Before I was like yeah that was kind of the the triangle at that point in time um, was definitely like oh we can go down here and do these um you know uh, corners of Oregon with um, anatomy and then you know cross over to Idaho and get to um Colorado you know and do a bunch of stuff with here before 
Yeah. And then, um, but yeah, I just, yeah, I just remember that was like, um, and probably John got fixated on stuff back then. So I was thinking like, Christ, I mean, um, everything was on CDs and shit back then. So it was like, you only had like a 20, you know, 12 discs inside your booklet or whatever you could take with you. So it wasn't like an entire world of music out there. But, uh, but yeah, I definitely remember like always having, um, and the anatomy record, especially after you guys saw the fearless too, I can just remember having like that, you know, CD just always around, um, you know, back at that point in time. I think too, uh, what was funny <laughs> thinking about it earlier was like how, um, um, whenever we watched you guys, I was always like, Jesus Christ, is one of these guys gonna fucking like doink the other one and fucking <laughs> knock him out? Or like, like I was always like super concerned, like, um, for your guys' fucking, I, I mean, there was one show I saw where John got on someone's shoulders, and I was like, "Fuck!" Um, but like, I think there was a point too where um, you were know, like doing these like rounds of shows with you guys, where all of a sudden, like, three before, I was like, "All right, well, fuck!" If John's like choking himself with that fucking mic cable, then like, Dave, at some point, you gotta like kick me in that, you know, like, well, you gotta kick me in the head, and then I can remember like kicking someone in Gatsby, and then like. Afterwards, it was just like, yeah, dude, we're not going to be anatomy, so we're going to be kicking each other up there on stage <laughs> like that. <laughs> I just picture you kicking Ryan or something. He's like, why'd you kick me? <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. Uh, I was like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Oh, I know what you're talking about. The, John... I remember it specifically because it happened twice, and one time it was bad, and he jumped off of the bass amp onto Zach's shoulders, wrapped the mic cord, wrapped the mic cord around his neck, and leaned back, like literally just like like reeling in a steer or whatever, like just like literally lassoed his neck and leaned all his weight backwards until they both fell backwards, and then the bass head fell on Zach, I think, and like I. Yeah, it was and Zach would just take it all the time. He still does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're not doing that now. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, I don't know. Oh yeah. God. If they but went and started Jesus kicking Christ. each other God. that would be amazing. <laughs> right just oh out God. of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Next dude, next time you see Portugal on stage <laughs> they start kicking the shit out of each other, you know where they'll bring in a back from. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I totally remember what you're talking about. And that's uh, yeah, it was I remember John saying his biggest thing was that these guys don't have any choruses. They don't repeat anything. It just it, it's it's super interesting. And I I noticed the same thing, especially Ribbons and Sugar, where it's like this is great. Like there's parts that I love so much that I wish repeated like five or six times in the song. They never do, and it just gets me this like it keeps me on edge. It's weird, like but I love it. It's like this weird like edging kind of uh, yeah. Like there's no nothing really repeats. And that was one thing that was yeah. really interesting. And and uh, as we got to know you guys, I think we were down in Newport Beach. And uh, or was it Newport Beach? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, because we always used to stay at Kaminsky's house. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Kaminsky had that weird apartment. Yes. And Bobby, like, uh, Bobby and I talked for I don't know how many hours. He basically, I didn't know Bobby wrote as much as he did. And then also he explained the lyrics. And that conversation i will always remember it because it was brutal i mean the stuff yeah, that he had yeah in there. and i sure. had no idea the dynamic of the band and and who did what and all this stuff and and uh it was so interesting to see you know even after gatsby's just where you guys all went 
you know, and I mean, you're doing KK and Wild Orchid Children. And I mean, I want to get into all that stuff, too, because watching you orchestrate this group of people, all different musicians, all different instruments was amazing. And uh, but going back to the Gatsby's days, I mean, that was a blast. And then you guys ended up getting signed to Fearless and uh, and going that route and, and touring with Portugal, too. I believe you did. What was it? You guys, Circa and Portugal, right? That that full U.S.? Dude, let's see. The, like, I remember um, I remember we, one of the first tours Circa ever did, I think, was um, the tour that we did with um, Us, Bear, Vers, Fucking Them. Okay. But yeah, we also did a string of West Coast things, which um, I think was um, like kind of West Coast, Midwest things with Portugal, kind of right at the tail end of, of, of Gatsby. Um, um, uh and I think, God, I want to say, like, uh, at one point, like, Horse the Band was on that tour. I don't know if they were on that, that leg of it, but I'm trying to remember who all was on, like, that final um, headlining tour um, of ours that we were on. But, yeah, Portugal was definitely on a bunch of dates of that right around, um, was it uh, Waiter? Yeah, it would have been Waiter, yeah. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it was, it was off, you know, like, the... The video was in the bear costume and stuff. Like I think it just <laughs> dropped. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so it was one of. I don't think you know it might have been like their first um, tour, but yeah, it was. It was right around you know right after the release of the record and, and the video had come out and all that stuff. And it was like, oh, John Bonham's other thing was back and stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think God, there was a bunch of still anatomy guys playing with Portugal at that time. Yeah. Um, cause it was just like, you know, the very first, you know, drop of that stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, um, when you're talking about the Gatsby stuff too, it's fascinating just with like, um, yeah, like, <clears throat> I don't, you know, um, it's like definitely that was one of the biggest draws for me when I was like, God, I wish I could join this band. And then randomly, you know, after why we fight was released, um, the bass player that played on that record, Josh, left the band, and then, you know, Bobby just called me up, um, and was like, you know, do you want to play bass? And I was like, holy shit, you know, because I just, I thought the same thing as John, but I just thought it was like a really wild mix of stuff. Like, obviously, they were like, you know, um, to me, when I first heard it, it sounded like, you know, um, obviously, the chord progressions were, you know, um, Elliot Smith, Beatles-esque, and that was just like, to me at that time, was like, I knew those chords exi you know, like existed and, and stuff, um, and I knew that they were, you know, cool, just based on sort of like um, the theory behind, you know, how those chord progressions and chord structures work, but then to hear that coming out of something that kind of sounded like a punk compilation and stuff like that, yeah. was like, what is, <laughs> like, I was just like, what the shit is this? And, um, just that right-hand technicality, like, SoCal, propagandi thing. Like, I was just, it was just, like, that was honestly a little foreign to, to me at, at that point in time, just in this kind of stuff that I listened to, which was just, like, weird, you know. Um, I was just far more into, you know, sort of, like, um, more like the Vagrant roster at that point in time. And okay. just, like, you know, some of the hip some of the just like hip hop stuff that I had grown up on and, and whatnot. And, um, and, um, but just, you know, like I remember 
a lot of the bands that I was into at, at that time when I joined Gatsby and was like, I just assumed, like, oh, yeah, Bobby thinks this stuff is cool because it's kind of in the realm of what were all all the shows we were going to go to and whatnot. Like, he would, you know, like, you know, play stuff for him. And he was like, man, this is kind of boring, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, um, you know, I don't think Bobby um, really ever got into, like, just as an example, something relative to this, like, you know, ever really got into Saves the Day until, like, the In Reverie record came out. And then he was like, you know, it was everybody... It seemed like on a wider scale hated that, and that yeah. was like I remember Bobby clinging to that thing for its just originality, its weird chord progressions, um, and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, and then, and then another thing, you know, just like you were talking about with with having that conversation with Bobby, like I had so many of those um, conversations with Bobby um, on on tour as well. You know, most of the time when you know one of us or both of us were, were super, 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 you know, um, intoxicated or under the influence or something like that. But, um, but yeah, like it was, you know, I realized, um, you know, he, he had another thing too, where when we started the group and, um, like he was very much on this sort of wall of like, we don't write like everything around that, that sort of scene, which was cool about Anatomy and Portugal too, and yeah. from just some of the um, bands that we were hanging in here before, and just, you know, like, a lot of that stuff, like, we were all kind of, like, sort of these outliers um, to the greater context of what, like, that whole scene is thought of, like, now, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, you, you look back on it and you hear a lot of just the, like, the, like, really, like, you know, bad sort of, like, um, you know, uh, male dominated, uh, sort of, you know, whiny, dark, like, you know, murderous sort of like, you know, lyrics about like girlfriends and stuff like that. And it's like, I remember Bobby having a very strict thing. Like when, like even before, like when I was just joining the, and it was just like hanging out with those guys before being in the band. I was like, yeah, we don't write songs about girls. And then it's like, Oh, well, what the fuck are these songs about? Cause that's just like, I don't know. I'm, fucking 18, 17 at the time when I met those guys and it's just like, I don't, what what else is, like, I don't know, I've, I've had this very, like, tiny, you know, um, North Seattle lifestyle, like, I don't, you know, what are these songs about? And then, you, yeah, so Bobby's, you know, um, life, I, you know, I think was just, like, such uh, a departure for um, most of the rest of us in the band, so, um Hearing that immediately, it was like, well, you know, you had the same reaction, like, where it's very dumb and stuff, but at the same time, too, like, coming into that environment where, um, kind of there's that precedent set. And Bobby was much older than everybody, um, too, at that time, so it was just like, you know, I always looked up to him for, beyond, like, the songwriting thing and, and the lyrics thing, it's just like, you know, he was the one dictating, you know, um, most of the band decisions and, and talking to people and being very uh, direct, you know. And, um, you know, we watched so many bands during that time, like, have, you know, quote-unquote, these managers or just, like, um, um, you know, bad representation, bad tour management, where all of a sudden, you know, money's missing and all these things. And, like, I was just like... Uh, looking back on it, I was like, Jesus, like, you know, um, I didn't do, like, sh- shit a lot of the time for any of the preparations and stuff. <laughs> and Gatsby and stuff, so Bobby was able to, like, handle all that stuff and be very upfront direct people and have these, you know, conversations. Before, there's really cell phones 
um, where there's like very, very minimal sort of internet stuff going on. Um, you know, Ryan, you know, Ryan used to book all the first tours that Gatsby ever did. Um, and like, you know, at that point in time, you're like spending a day or two, like just printing out map quest directions from one location to the next. Yes. Um, it's just crazy, you know, it's just crazy. It's just crazy to think about like everything you know they had to do in order to basically get <clears throat> the band to kind of this point um where I kind of jumped in right before the recording everything's in sugar, but yeah, um, like you were talking about um going into that situation and being like, God, um there's so much to learn just as a musician from these chord structures and and Bobby's um you know songwriting from that point um and also just like you know lyrically um it was very much like, oh, like, it was the first introductory to like, okay, how how are you, like, how am I going to be like, honestly, the most vulnerable, um, lyrically, in order to like, not, not only drive a point home, but to like, you know, um, have sincerity and honesty behind it. And I was like, you know, like, definitely from that point on, and again, you know, when I joined the band, I just literally like a week before they asked me to join the band turn 19 so uh it was like an immediate sort of like oh shit like that's yeah. like this does it's really heavy for me being like 19 and just having all these assumptions of of you know how all this shit goes down or how body functions and things and stuff um but uh but yeah it was just you know a super awesome experience um and definitely like um you know i think there's things um are still relevant in Bobby's music too and um you know I took picked and cherry picked so many different things from him mm-hmm. um you know that I took on with KK and um like how I took on with KK and you know even with the Wild Orchid Children writing and um you know even with my new stuff with Road on Music like I'm really pop structuring it um with choruses and bridges and and um you know in down to three, you know, trying to get things in the three and three and a half minutes and stuff. And even that, the, that presents like, um, you know, some different challenges and stuff. Um, I don't know. There's something really cool and inherent about that style like that Bobby, uh, you know, kind of basically, um, I, I don't want to say like created, but you know, it was definitely like, yeah, like you were talking about, like it was definitely the first thing that everybody was like, you know, this band doesn't have choruses. Uh, you know, you just heard, um, you know, on message boards back when, you know, the message boards were that type of, you know, the scene and stuff were kind of popping off. Um, but also, you know, it was also the kind of, like, thing that, like, drove us all crazy because by the time we were done with, like, the Fearless contract, um, you know, we'd heard so many times, oh, yeah, we love what the band does. And then as soon as, like, you get anywhere near to something, um, you know, put on paperwork, then all of a sudden that whole idea flips from the people, you know, that would tell you, you know, a few weeks ago, yeah, no, it's cool. Like, yeah, we love what you guys do. We love what you built. Like, do your thing, you know? And then right before you're about to sign anything, it's like, oh, and, um, you know, uh, we really love, you know, that was the same thing when, you know, Gatsby did like the, um, you know, drive through was like, hey, guys, we really, you know, like the band and love what you guys have done and why don't you come down and play live for us and come play live for them and then it's like wow this, this live show's awesome like you know all this stuff and stuff it's like cool so what's like what where do we go from here and they're like well 
we, you know, we'd love to hear some choruses. And then, you know, um, from there, Bobby writes In the Land of Lost Monsters, which kind of addresses all those things. And, um, you know, I remember going to the fearless meeting and just letting Bobby kind of handle most of the talking. But at the very end of it, like, you know, it was kind of just like, you know, is there anything else? need to be said or does anybody want to mention anything else before we kind of like split for lunch or whatever and I was just like hey you know I just the only thing I want to say is like you know like um, we kind of have done one of these type of meetings with another label before and um, you know at the end of it it was just kind of like yeah you guys are cool like you know kind of very similar to what we've got going here and this feels really good you know but I just you know um, before you know we got to signing anything it was like um you know, they just were like, if, but if you want to sign with us, you know, you're going to need to like, kind of like write these songs that are more chorus structured and have this like three and a half minute sort of pop structure and stuff. You guys can't be doing these two minute songs and whatnot. And then, um, I remember saying the same thing in the fearless meeting and they're like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. So we signed that whole thing. They went to, you know, a volcano pretty much without, um, you know, um, a whole lot of, uh, you know, basically trying to have their, their hand, you know, in, in the bucket in the recipe and stuff, um, which was super, super cool. The volcano turns out, you know, great. We do all the touring off of that. Like it built us a huge following, you know, not just with like, um, you know, sort of fans and stuff, but I always thought the cool thing was like, like you were just talking about, like it was always cool, um, that we had like, m- like most of the bands on world collect the actual individuals in the bands who are like, really good musicians and shit like that like we're always coming up being like man like what you guys do is really fucking cool to me um and i thought always thought that was cool that, you know we were kind of like inundated with at least a lot of the, like really talented musicians from that team we always kind of recognized what you know bobby was sort of you know had created and brought to the table with just the way that the songs were structured and brought out and stuff yeah um um but yeah but then you know by the time we get to the final record with with fearless you know it's like before they're, you know, talking about the budget for the for the next record, it's like, we need you, you know, and from their point of view, you know, uh, Plain White Tees had just dropped that Hey Delilah song, uh-huh. and so it was like, the whole s- structure of Fearless went from, we have, like, Portugal, we have, like, this that weird band Brazil, um, you know, we have the At The Drive-In releases, um, and we have this, you know, weird band Gatsby into sort of like, okay, the you know, now everything sort of has to be pushed out the numbers that Plain White Tees did, um, mm-hmm. which is like totally cool and um, and all that. But it was just like it just you know it wasn't for us. And so um, um, you know that whole last Gatsby record is just full. I feel like of tension not only like within the band, but tension was like obviously the label because the whole thing is like about <laughs> how we can't stand, you know, um, you know, doing what we're doing anymore, basically. Um, and, um, so yeah, it's always interesting to just like, I don't know, see the dynamic of each of those records and, and their impact and, and stuff. And, um, and again, like I was saying, you know, just like was something that naturally bled into everything that we've kind of done since then. Sure. Sure. And fearless. I mean, I've been there with Fearless, and I I really liked the label. But and, and you were probably meeting with Bob and Graham at the time. I, I don't think Graham's with them anymore. But but uh, we had you know really interesting meetings with Fearless just because we were on the cusp of 
you know, a few labels wanting to sign us and I know fearless really want us and fearless had more money and fearless had all these things. And, and, uh, you know, we just kind of had more of an upper hand in that deal. I think as far as, as them wanting us better than or, or wanting us more than we wanted them kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, so it was kind of a different dynamic, but I, I remember, um, uh, I saw you guys, uh, at it's a bike shop now down here but it's it was called like davy jones locker i think and uh it was shark. yeah and it was you guys bear versus shark and uh someone else but but uh uh rudy gave me like, that might have been the circuit tour yeah or circuit circuit bear versus shark. yeah that it was because you guys played and then i had to leave and uh rudy gave me land of lost monsters and i was listening to it and then there's that awesome. line where's the fucking chorus and uh, yeah. I was just laughing my ass off. <laughs> I was like, this is exactly what this is about. They're totally just calling people cool. out. And uh, That's my personal favorite. That was a good... Yeah, I've, see, Ribbons and Sugar cool. will always be in my heart. But I, I love the whole catalog. I mean, you guys were a fantastic band. And, and that's when, when things went down and, and the band was over. And then... Uh, you and Kyle, so how did you meet Kyle O'Quinn? Because you guys were in, I mean, he came into Gatsby's at the end, the last record, I believe, because then him, he came out on tour with Portugal when I was with Portugal for those few tours um, to Europe and stuff. And then all of a sudden I was seeing like Wild Orchid Children and then KK. How did that all come about? Yeah, so, so I think, um, um, you know, there were a lot of like, um, just sort of like simple contextual um, sort of key elements that were in um, uh, 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 Volcano. Uh-huh. Um, that kind of like beefed it up. You know, that was like the, I think like in terms of all the Gatsby records, like the biggest, um, you know, like per, like production. Um, um God, just because I was just thinking about because you brought up Ribbon and Sugar, the production on that was wild because I had just joined the band and uh, Rocket Star, who was that small little label from up here in Seattle, who um, kind of like released the, the first releases of a bunch of bands that eventually got signed to bigger labels and stuff. Um, they it was the first time like they wanted to put like, a good amount of money into a recording budget for something that was done like outside of, of you know basically the realm of at that time we were doing a lot of stuff out of the tooth and nail mm-hmm. studio like you know Larry Fight was done with Aaron Sprinkle um, and like you know Aaron Sprinkle had just done like a waxing record and stuff so um, he just done some cool stuff um, and kind of was like the hub at that point at least for like rock you know some of the rocket star recordings. Uh-huh. And, um, so then we went up, um, and they were like, you know, who do you want to work with and stuff? And I remember Ryan emailing James Paul Wisner, who'd done the first, like, Further Things Forever record. Yeah. And, uh, and, cause we were all stoked on that record and thought it was, like, really neat and whatnot. And, um, uh, he actually replied, like, I remember we hit up, they hit up a few other people, like, big names, I can't remember off the top of my head, but, um, he replied, and he was like, yeah, let's do it, you know, and got the budget all situated and stuff, but I remember we basically recorded that record in, like, four weeks, like, the day after Dude got married, and and we were, and he, like, I don't know why he agreed to this, I don't know why James Oliver agreed with this, he agreed to, like, have us all live like in his house slash studio for those like four and a half weeks, like 
the day after he got married. <laughs> so it's like he's basically like honeymooning with his wife, like in one end of the house, and then we're just occupying basically like the kitchen, the computer room, his like fucking living room, plus the studio. So it's just like. Uh, he would, you know, he would just like, we would start kind of later in the day because it's like, well, of course we're going to start later in the day. He's honeymooning <laughs> in the other end of the house with his wife. So we would just like play Xbox and like far around like the most boring, like lamest. Like when you think of like lame Florida, it's like, dude, like baby Florida is just like, oh man, like Bobby would get fucking stunk like every Friday because he'd be like, he's got to go to Cheesecake Factory. Like, that's like what there was to do. Like, there's just like, like, that's what we would fucking do. Uh, but yeah, it's still like, it was just, I mean, we learned a lot from him. Um, and, um, you know, I still, yeah, like that record was amazing. Obviously, like the first time I recorded like a record with the guys, I remember just being like, sort of, you know, just like in awe and, and, um, just trying to like learn a lot from the process. And, um, uh, I still think like Rudy's drum takes and drum sounds on that record are bonkers because that was like the first record that Rudy was on too. And I just like you know, um, um, you know, I've definitely heard Bobby say that like you know that's when the band sort of like actually becomes you know gaspy because like so many of those elements that um, you know he says that you know Rudy and I bring brought to the table at that point like you know carry on from that point on and kind of like distinct at least the rhythms. And stuff, um, um, but um, but yeah, that was, dude, that was such a wild recording process. Fuck, man, I feel so bad for James Holzer. He must have just hated us by the end of it. I mean, I'm sure we smelled, and it was like, you know, it was kind of the first time we were like, oh, we're blown out, like we were like buying fucking uh, watermelon cream up ice and just getting toasted at night, just like the five of us, just like, like what the fuck are we doing, like. Rudy came to peace now after he did his drums because he, he was like working at um, some sort of like tech job, I think, back in the day, like an early, early tech job. But shit, man, it was like, I just, yeah, I remember it was just like, it was just a weird era of like uncomfortableness, like all the time because it's like, why is this, yo, he's on his honeymoon. Why did he do this right now? You know, just like, but it was so fucking cool. Um, but yeah, so back to, back to Kyle. Uh, there, was all the, there were all the like crazy elements of, like, um, Volcano that, like, you know, we basically couldn't replicate. And also, Ryan basically left the band um, right before Volcano um, dropped just because, you know, he was just like, I don't know what the fuck is... Uh, or basically, right before we got the Fearless contract. Because I just didn't, didn't think, you know, he was just like, <laughs> we're a weird band. I don't know where the fuck this is going. Yeah. And, like, you know, we at that point, we'd done so many tours with Ryan, booked everything. But it's like... You know, we Ryan booked an entire U.S. tour like by himself. Um, you know, before we even got like a you know an actual booking agent. Um, on the end of which, you know, we were crossing back through North Dakota. And it was the middle of the night, and Rudy hit um, a patch of black ice because you know we like we were just trying to book tours and like I don't know the, the MySpace thing was like if you toured and you had like a lot of MySpace like attention, like chances are like.
you know, with a lot of people at the time for, for just like crossing the country, being like, cross your fingers, here we fucking go. Yeah. And, you know, at that point in time, too, it's like, um, the band's on this sort of like handshake agreement of like, hey, like, everybody's going to, when we go home, we're going to work jobs right, and then everybody's going to be able to chip in like X amount of dollars to, to the gas fund until we start like, you know, until we hopefully can make it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe Dave, you know, there's no per diems, you know, this and this and that. Um, I remember one time Bobby like spending like eight, uh, eight or ten bucks of his own money, <laughs> like breakfast supplies, <laughs> and then coming back to where we were staying and making breakfast sandwiches and being like, "Yes, you want one, two bucks, dude." <laughs> it was just like we were all trying to figure out rackets. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, if there was anybody on the band that I, anybody with the band that we were on tour with, that like I could like break off you know, any weed or anything that I had on me was like, yeah, you all for five bucks. Yeah, fuck yeah, that's like, you know, I can get two packs of fucking honey roasted peanuts for a dollar and, you know, be okay till five o'clock or whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so basically, you know, when Ryan was left, I think Bobby was really concerned because we, we'd gone through at least two or three guitar players at that point in time that just like, you know, just like weren't up to snuff with what just like how weird and different Bobby's stuff was. Um, and um, so at that point, you know, it was basically Bobby had um, set up an AB system so that he had like two different amps running on the left and right side of the stage just to like beef up his guitar tone because he had doubled so much stuff for Volcano. Um, and I think it, he, you know, he was a great guitar player. Um, and so it was, it sounded, you know, great. I think the shows that we were playing just the four of us where it was just like Rudy, <clears throat> me, um, Bobby and Nick, um, you know, never really um just like, you know, didn't bring what the records were bringing, but at the same time too, but I got the volcano there were like these cool key elements and um, you know, definitely um you know, I, I had written um I'm listening to Reason and there's so much for concussion elements and the big sort of, um, you know, um, just the weird, um, whatever the, that drunken sort of like waltz ending thing yeah. that happens. Unless the reason has so many different like elements that I, that, you know, um, and I remember I basically, that recording process, like Bobby had initially been like, yo, that song is fucking really weird, man. Like, I don't really understand it, but you know, you want it to get on the record basically like, <laughs> like write the lyrics but like you handle everything for it and when it's done like show me show me it because um, right now I just don't get it so I basically at that point in time um, you know we had done In the Land of Lost Monsters with um, Casey Bates' teacher who was Tom Saffle uh, Saffle did all the KK records okay um, or did did um, the, the first KK, uh, KK record by um, he mixed and mastered excuse me um so basically, I went up um, with Saffle because he had worked on In the Land of Lost Monsters while Casey was basically it, um, doing his recording degree um, here um, at uh, one of the art institutes. Mm-hmm. And so Saffle had a big studio, kind of um, way up in, um, in the mountains just a little east of Seattle um, that was super cool. Um, and um, so basically... When Bobby told me that, I was like, well, give me, you know, give me the tracks. I'm going to go out with Saffle. I'm going to do all the scratch guitars. I'll lay in all the percussion. I'm going to do all the backup vocals. Uh, I brought Rudy up there. One, to do the drums. And then two, um, Rudy brought Mark, 
um, you know, his brother from the Blood Brothers to do all that percussion stuff. So all the like, uh, at the end of Listening to Reason, all that percussion stuff is basically Mark um, doing like the um, harmonica, or not the harmonica, um, 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 fuck, I'm totally drawn up like, I'm going to the fucking little Um But yeah, basically all those percussion elements were Mark at the end of that. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, and so then I came back to, um, um, you know, Bobby and Casey, and they were like, what the fuck is this? Um, and then Nick came in and do all the vocals and stuff. Um, so, at that, you know, that kind of was, like, the first connection to, like, oh, man, like, I love being out here in the mountains at Thackle's place, kind of working on, you know, whatever I'm working on. Um, so, um, so at one point, you know, the tours were, that we were getting off and kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I think, I can't remember I um, which tour was the first one that Kyle came on, but Kyle had, was basically from this band called Surrounded by Lions. Um, Surrounded by Lions had just done like a recording with, um, um, Casey. And so Casey was like, man, there's this kid. And, um, he, um, you know, it's kind of just a, this wacky little kid yeah, and, um, you know, but he's really but he's you know he's like you know he's really good at the piano and he plays guitar and stuff too and kind of was honestly the first person that not only could you know kind of handle um the guitar chops uh uh body but also could like you know it's also like oh man he can play a second guitar every now and then and also do all the key stuff the volcano is like ideal um so, I, you know, he came to, I remember he came to the first band practice, and they're like, you know, this, this dude is coming, he's like from Stern of My Lions, and I was like, okay, I think I met this kid. Um, the first time I ever saw Kyle, he was actually getting in trouble, because that, do you remember um, playing Ground Zero? The oh, yeah. Center in oh, yeah. So, um, that was like Kyle, you know, everybody back then, when Kyle was growing up, uh, um, in high school and shit and junior high that was like why they would go to shows so you know they just like loved Gatsby um, so the first time I ever saw Kyle um, I don't think I ever met him that night but basically I was loading in and he was getting kicked off the property because he was smoking a joint and he was like 16 or 17 and um and, um, you know, it was like a teen center, so you just couldn't do that. And the other thing that's crazy is, like, right across the street, there's, like, an enormous park where Kyle could have just, like, wandered all he wanted and smoked all the way he wanted. <laughs> but he just did it on the teen center ground, which is super cool. Um, uh, but, yeah, so I remember being like, wow, I can't, man, that, oh, motherfuckers, wild as shit. And then <laughs> the first day in practice. At that point, though, I was, like, the only dude... Um, in Gatsby at that point in time, um, who was like smoking weed, and I remember Kyle came up and was like, um, dude, I have like a bunch of weed, you want to smoke weed? And I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I did. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we basically like rehearsed, and then after rehearsal, went in his car, smoked a bunch of weed, um, and he was super, super, super into, um, you know, the, just the Beatles and the sort of like the Beatles lore at the time. Like he was, you know, he would just talk on end and end and end about, um, just sort of like, oh, this song means, you know, that's done this one, this recording technique, and that, you know, he was just like deep in that. So I was like, well, you know, this guy's way into this stuff. And I was de um, definitely um, into, into a lot of that stuff. I, at that point in time, I was really, really into the kinks. And I remember being like, well, dude, if you like the Beatles, like, you got to check out, um, you know, this Muswell Hillbilly's record from the kinks. And he gave him that CD. 
And then that was like the first click um, for us. And then it was just like on tour, he was just like a riot and um, was kind of, you know, one of the guys that would always sort of lead the charge on like having fun and just was one of the, you know, finally I had a guy in the band who was like, dude, let's like hop in the trailer. I know it's like a hundred degrees out here, but you know, let's get in the trailer and like smoke weed because the only place like <laughs> anybody will let us smoke weed, you know? Um, so, um, you know, we just sort of bonded on that. And from there, it was just like we both bringing out acoustic guitars on the tours. And so, and just like smoking weed and having time to kill, you know, when we were on tour, just because, um, be sort of like kind of showing me cool chord progressions. Um, and then, you know, uh, me sort of tinkling with what Kyle had showed me and then bringing it back to him and sort of these like two songs developed. So basically, I think we had like three or four songs sort of like semi structured out. That were just like hey, these are like the Kirk and Kyle like acoustic songs from you know that we wrote in the sweaty uh, hot box trailer, and then when Gaston went on hiatus, <clears throat> um, Ryan and Kyle were living in an apartment together. Uh, and I remember starting to kick it with Kyle because he had uh, a really you know uh, simple like you know it's like a, the first like um, small inbox for Pro Tools like it was just like so archaic now to think about it, but he had it was like oh shit you have like an inbox like mobile pro tool setup that's insane and so we would like go kick it at his house and just work or at his apartment um and work on the songs and they were really just like these weird off like midi because it was just like kyle's you know we had like a um you know just a stationary um stereo mic and then kyle's like keyboard um and an acoustic guitar and all the songs were, like, super rough and just, like, these weird, like, midied out sort of, like, um, just, like, yeah, weird early, early un, unfinished demos and stuff. And I remember taking them, um, but, you know, my wife knew um, this dude, Phil Peterson, and I knew that he played a lot of strings. And I was like, oh, man, like, you know, Kyle, you want all these string touches that, like, you know, all the favorite Beatles songs have and whatnot. Like, we got to get, like, this dude... Um, my wife was um, uh, super good uh, friends with a bunch of people that kind of um, hung around with um, Phil's wife and stuff. And I just knew, oh, Phil's like an amazing musician and stuff. And I know he's kind of got this house up in North Seattle with a bunch of wild instruments. So Kyle and I went over there, and um, I remember we just started fucking around for like a week straight because we had shit like basically gasping on our hands. We'd gotten home. I think Kyle and I took the weekend. Uh, did all those demos at his apartment one week and the next week <clears throat> just went to Phil's and just started like eating mushrooms and like <laughs> smoking weed with this guy and just like really like flushing out after this Phil's had a house full of like you know a wild crazy upright piano that <clears throat> had a couple like weird uh, you know detuned notes and stuff and just like uh, you know he had this Hoffner replica bass and all these like different things that we were just like oh this is the shit that like we were like putting into MIDI and just like, it sounds just like fucking terrible. Um, you know, so it was like, Phil was really the fun element to like really like bringing out, you know, all that stuff. So we, um, um, we recorded the four songs. I remember sending it to, um, and this is a cool one. Um, cause you had Keith, um, on from Circle Jerks, right? Yeah. 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 Keith Morris. Yeah, so basically, somehow, our four-song KK demo, I think I sent it to someone, like, literally, like, 
uh, it might have been like Matt, the guitar player from the starting line. He was like doing a bunch of management at the time for a bunch of ba- bands on Virgin. Uh-huh. And I just was like, hey, Matt, like, I just, you know, Kyle and I, um, you know, it's basically because we just got off, guess we just got off a tour with them like maybe a year prior to that. And I was like, yo, like, we just need these demos, like, here they are. And he was like, man, I'm going to send them to this guy I know here at Virgin. Um, he's the only one that I know that, like, works with stuff like this. And he was like, it's this dude, uh, John Sedell, and his assistant was Keith. And John had basically, like, discovered the White Stripes, signed the Blood Brothers um, to V2. Uh-huh. Um, he, like, basically been, I think, one of the main A&R guys at V2 during its, like, sort of heyday with the Moby Records and all these different things. And, um... V2 still existed at the time, and he he was like, "What the fuck is this, man? Like, um, I you know who are these guys?" And so he hooked me up with John, um, and then we flew down there and met uh, Keith and John at, at they had an, an office at John's house, and then that's when basically um, we did like um, the like one of the first actual like KK shows with like the whole entire group was um, sort of down in LA. Um, um, after doing, because um, we just you know finished the live at the Pretty Parlor taping too, yeah, yeah. so um, the that DVD somehow all these things happen so randomly, it's, it's so bizarre. Um, but basically, at the same time that like John had come around, the DVD had somehow you know Kyle's cousin is one of um, um, oh my, I'm totally drawing a blank. I just took a big bonk before this, but um, <laughs> but who's the dude from uh, who's the dude from Pineapple Express and Superbad? Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen, yeah. Um, yeah, Kyle's cousin is like one of his comedy writers, like part of his like comedy writing team or something like that. Oh, okay. And so he was living down in L.A. and I think somehow the Kyle had sent him a copy of the DVD, and somehow it had gotten from him into someone who worked at the at, at Carson Daly. And that's how we got the Carson Daly taping thing. And so basically all these things sort of like morphed into one thing at, at the time. Um, and basically, you know, and John was like, well, this is ridiculous. Like you guys are going to be on national television and you just filmed like a, a live TV thing. And you have this, and all you have is a four song demo. This is crazy. And so uh, that was sort of the pitch he used to get us signed to V2, um, which was, is even crazier because then we got the V2 contract. I remember like being like, this is crazy. Cause it was, you know, again, one of those experiences where like you're sitting down with a stack of paperwork, like you're going through all the different things. Mm-hmm. It's getting notarized and all that stuff. Um, I remember putting it in an envelope and then like having, you know, Rachel's mail it off. And then basically two or three days later, we got an email from one of the um, top guys. Cause at that point in time, to uh, the American chapter had closed, which should have been a warning sign going into it. Yeah. But um, so they were operating most of the offices out of the UK with John just as sort of like this roaming A&R in the States. And um, basically, uh, someone came in, bought out the entire um, physical, you know, because at that point in time, like everything's morphing into digital and streaming. Mm-hmm. And so I can't remember who it was, but it basically a big, conglomerate came in and they bought out the entire catalog from from Virgin. Virgin just sold off E2 in one big uh, swoop and basically everything got um, digitally cataloged. Um, so there were no more physical copies. That's why you know all, all the bands were on that label at the time have had their re-releases done by someone else, whether mm-hmm. it's like 
I think like White Stripes, Third Man, or Warner, um, and you know, both of those, I think Epitaph, we released a lot of those V2 releases. But um, but basically, yeah, the whole thing closed down, and we just got an email that was like, hey, like we showed up to work today, and like we are told everything was bought out and to clear our desks out. So if we hear anything in a week or two, like we'll let you know. But, you know, we it was honestly just like we don't really know what to say because we're just immediately concerned like oh shit we don't have jobs you know? yeah <laughs> like, sorry i know you guys just signed this contract and like you know they the dude i can't remember you know what is his name but i just remember the email i was like i literally am staring at the contract and i don't know what to tell you you know and it's just like uh fuck so um so that was like you know but was that was super cool because then um you know we went back and we just finished the entire record ourselves um and then had Fassel do it, um, you know, who we met through in the Land of Lost Monsters and who had worked on co-producing uh, Volcano. Mm-hmm. Um, and he mixed and mastered it. Um, and then um, basically, you know, we met Virgil at Suburban Home and he was doing the like sort of these vinyl distribution deals where like, hey, you know, I'll put out your vinyl and you get to keep X amount of copies and do whatever you want with them. Um, and yeah, and so the KK thing sort of like... Um, you know, just kind of, it's it's weird. It's crazy looking back on it because, like you were talking about earlier, it's insane to think about trying to orchestrate that many people. Yeah, and um, that's definitely you know, um, it was definitely a learning experience for me on how to like be a much better like um, leader because people were always like, you know, it's amazing you, you keep this whole thing together, and then now you know inside I'm just like I'm barely keeping this thing together, you know. Um, and, you know, um, um, yeah, and just like I, you know, like just poor, you know, financial decisions and poor touring decisions without really thinking things out, and um, and but but at the same time too, like um, I was just thinking about it because I, I was texting with Kyle the other day, and um, someone had brought up just like you know Spotify numbers for KK and stuff, and they were like, dude, it's fucking crazy, and and I was thinking the same thing, like it is crazy that we that the whole thing even happened, number one, that, like, we did as many cool things as we did, like, played as many shows on as many, like, weird psychedelics as we did. Um, I can remember, weird, I was talking about it with um, one of the dudes who used to play French horn in KK, but he was, he played in a band that at one point um, had gotten signed to a major label here from, um, from out of Seattle, and he knew some people at Spin, and so he invited these people out from Spin to a New York show, um, uh, with the deer hunter, um, at, I think it was like Brooklyn Bowl. I, I can't remember where it was. It was, it was a big fucking show in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, and they like came out and I remember right before the show, um, the drummer from deer hunter, um, um, Nick was like, uh, Hey man, fucking like someone gave me these shrooms and I'm just like, not at any point in my life where I need these deep shrooms and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I know a bunch of guys that will take them. But we're like, yeah, it's like a huge open show. So we like take these like really wild blue looking shrooms. And um I remember like um we started the set off and everything had just like started to kick in. Yeah. And Aaron, our drummer, who hadn't taken the shroom, started to play um the waltz pattern from Hey Mama at the wrong time in like because we were doing like the setup intro from, from the first album before we started Hey Mama. <laughs> but for some reason like 
But we all played it together in like this really bizarre way. And then when it came to the end, we all sort of realized what was just done. And all immediately just started laughing so hard. And I know nobody in the crowd had any idea what the hell was going on. Because it was just like kind of crickets and just kind of like a few laughs. Like, what the fuck are these guys doing? And then after the show, you know, we're all kicked out. And Jacob's like, oh, this is a whole spin. And I remember just being like, Wow! I was just like, <laughs> I was just like so blazer. Um, but yeah, that was super fucking. That was super fucking wild. But yeah, um, you know, just like how, like I mean, we played some really really cool fun shows with that band. Um, had some insane insane um, memories and moments. Um, shit, man. Um, there was this one time just because this story is fucking crazy. This is just about like. And I think this was like indicative of just like how KK operates exactly like we're talking about where there's just like, like this weird flow of like, um, you know, weird stuff that would happen to us and whatnot. But, um, um, we were in Wisconsin one time, we were trying to get camping. Um, we were, we just actually hung out with, um, the guys from the snake across the crown uh-huh. randomly, like in a Detroit show when KK was on tour with me without you. And it was on the 4th of July, and we were so excited because basically after the 4th, we had, like, the 5th and the 6th off to basically do some, like, travel and have a day off after the holiday. And we had planned this camping thing because um, our drummer in the band was big on camping. He had all this camp gear, so it was just like, who goes fucking load up the trailer with some camp gear in the corner, and then we'll have it for a whole weekend. We can actually have, like, a camping weekend with everybody in KK. It was like, amazing, magical idea. <laughs> and so... <clears throat> We basically started, uh, we left the, uh, the Detroit show and then we were basically driving through Wisconsin. It started to get dark on the, you know, on like whatever the 5th of July. And so I was like, well, shoot, we should probably like figure out camping at some point in time. So we were trying to like look up camping like on our phones, but even like looking at the internet on the phone at that, you know, this is still like 10 years ago. So yeah. it's like, it was still kind of, it was still a little tricky, you know, because uh, we're just, I'm assuming like there's, there's got to be a KLA or something around here. And so we uh, finally follow a sign that, that just says, like, the blue sign says camping with an arrow and, like, next exit. So we pull off, and then there's, there's like, these blue signs that just say camping with a, with a little white arrow. And we're just following these signs. Also, these signs about taking us in, like, a cornfield. And I thought, this is crazy. Like, we're in this, like, crazy um, cornfield that's, like, a gravel, you know, gravel road winding through these cornfields. What the fuck? Um, and so all of a sudden, we come around and, uh, corner from the cornfield and it's like this beautiful big resort and it's like near empty and I'm like what the fuck like how is there a fucking campsite on July 5th like totally empty this is so wild like and it had this fountain shooting this big like nice cabin it was well manicured this whole fucking thing and you know we pull through these big gates um and all of a sudden like this dude comes around a corner of like the log cabin and he's mowing the lawn you know um, but he's totally naked. And he's just like, hey, come on down. I'll meet you up there to the driveway. And I didn't know, like, I'm just like, dude, why the fuck is this guy, like, naked lawn mowing? And so I just, like, you know, tried to, like, pull a quick Yui with the fucking um, trailer and the van and just, like, hauled out out of there. And everybody was just, like, screaming. was like, dude, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? And so I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to, I'm taking us to a cancer and that's, like, normal because that was, like, so bizarre. And so I get us kind of back to the cornfield, back on the main highway. We hit this, like, gas station, and, and again, the sun's still going down. So I'm like, yo, everybody go in the gas station. Grab any sort of food, hot dogs, like, whatever camping stuff. I'm going to find this fucking campground. We're going to ask these people inside what the campground is. 
and then the night will proceed as planned, and tomorrow will be rad. Uh, and then, so we're asking like these two like teenagers who are like just like working at the Texaco. And they're like, I don't know, there's a campground down there. And so like we just like like okay, cool. So we follow kind of their direction, which is basically just to go down this road a little bit further until we saw a bar. Mm-hmm. And then across the basically across the highway from the bar was supposed to be a campground. So we pull up, and then like we, <clears throat> we pull into this, you know, we see the bar. We pull into this like you know, quote unquote campground. And the first thing that we see is just all these signs that are just like, um, you know, hey, uh, bikers, take off your um, your biker affiliate patches and and gang color and gang colors. And we're just like, uh, what? There's sure a lot of motorcycles here. We're just like, you know, at this one time, we're just like, well, fuck it, dude. I mean, bikers, like, we're cool. Like, you know, like, they're going to love us. Like, this will be fucking cool. Like, you know, um, everybody just keep chill or whatever. <laughs> so we pull in, we send um, Thomas, you know, the guitar player in KK, and he was also in Wild Oaks, we send him um, and his fiance at, at the time into the, um, you know, in to get us, like, registered. And they come back out and they're like, hey, they want everybody to come in because everybody has to get, like, officially registered and stuff like that. So we're like, okay, whatever. So we all go in there. It's like the 15 of us, right? So everybody that's in KK and on the toilet time, like, piles in this thing. And we're just, like, at this point, tired. And we're just looking for a campground. So we're ready to sign forms. And, um, dude, uh, these, this lady and all these dudes are like, okay, so are you guys, you know, uh, signing in as couples or as individuals or, or what's going on? And we're just like, what? Um, and they're like, and one of the dudes was finally just like, do y'all even know what this is? And we're just all looking around like, oh, shit. Like, we have no idea what this is. And, you know, it's clear on all of our faces that, like, we have no fucking idea where we are. And we're just, like, standing there like, uh, I, I, uh, you know. And he's just like, y'all are at the Sex Olympics. And I was just like, like a bunch of us just so busting up laughing and I'm just like, Oh my fucking God, I just wanna like I just wanna camp. And so basically I think at one point someone just like said that and was like, Dude, we just need a camp for now. <laughs> and he was like and, and um and so basically they're like, Well y'all can have a campground um but it was like gonna be something outrageous, like, you know, a hundred because basically we were paying to be at the fucking Sex Olympics, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it was like a spot, you know, which is like, and it was just like, and then, then you know, when that shit hits you, then you sort of realize, like, everybody, like, you should have seen the signs, or like, all these weird, like, weird techie guys, like, driving in, too, amongst the bikers, and like, smart cars and stuff, and it's just like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? Like, you know, just like, just this weird fucking, um, yeah, it was super, super bizarre, that we, when we were finally like, man, you know what, never was fucking right, and we were leaving, the lady was fucking just like, y'all would have seen some shit you ain't never seen. Which was just like, oh, my fucking God. Um, hop back on the highway, we drive down uh, the road, and basically right before we got to the exit of the highway, there was like an actual official like state park with camping. And it was like 20 bucks for the night. And then everybody was just super, super, super bummed out because we'd spent all day fucking at nudist colonies and the sex Olympics, <laughs> and we just wanted to camp. <laughs> But that was the fucking shit that was just like fucking, yeah. I mean, that stuff would just like happen all the time. Um, I don't know how most of us survived it, but uh, yeah, but yeah, oh, um, God. But yeah, that's hilarious. But that's basically how I met Kyle and Kyle's influence on <laughs> shit. KK, and then 
Wild Orchid Totem is very similar. Um, uh, and of course, you know, uh, when we were doing the Wild Orchid Children stuff and the second KK record was when Tom was shot and killed. It's like a whole other fucking um, crazy, crazy thing. But that was definitely um, sort of like kind of the, the, the tail end of um, just sort of like all the sort of wild ride that was, you know, the KK and Wild Orchid Children yeah. sort of era. God damn. Yeah. Oh, and then so so you and uh, um, you and Rachel have a son, and so you you yes. just have the one son, right? You just have the one kid, yeah. Okay, and he'll and, be nine. Good lord. And uh, uh, yeah, it was just crazy. He'll be nine in a few weeks. Okay, and uh, so I mean, you go from all of that crazy lifestyle, and it's just I mean, it happens to everyone. Where you know, like I have. I have three kids now. Like the 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 ride doesn't necessarily come to an end, but it changes. And so now yeah. you've got uh, you're doing real dawn music, and that's that's what you're working on now, which is a whole nother animal. I mean, how did yeah? What's going on with that? I want to talk about that one while we still have time because I, um, I mean that's what you're doing now. That's what you're working on. And and uh, aside from being a family man, tell me about real dawn. Yeah. Yeah, so um, basically kind of around the time, like, you know, um, Thomas got um, a really rad offer to go play guitar for um, um, the Heavy, which is that band from the UK, mm-hmm. um, on a, when they when they basically were doing the tour date, um, um, which is like a, just a super cool opportunity for him. Kind of around that same time, too, um Kyle had gotten the offer to, you know, go out on the tours with Portugal. Um, so at that point in time, you know, I was kind of trying to figure out what to do. And definitely, like, a lot of the stuff that we've been writing for KK had kind of sort of, um, you know, developed from that sort of, like, Baroque psychedelic pop thing mm-hmm. um, into a lot more, like, we were we were all super big on, like, um, a lot of the really stuff with our own. And like a lot of um, you know, um classic stacks records artists and stuff like that. So just a lot of just like the musical taste had changed and a lot a lot of the new stuff with KK was a lot more in that sort of like kind of retro soul thing. And honestly, you know, a lot of people um I think some of the um more hardcore fans were into it, but I just know, you know, it just kinda of seemed like uh, I mean I remember one point, um Someone just, you know, you know, um, I was just asking around for advice and stuff. People were like, what does it sound like? We should just start a whole new thing or whatever. Um, and I was just thinking at the time, I was like, oh, that's outrageous. Like, um, but, it, you know, um, with, but with not having Kyle and not having Thomas, um, and then Phil had also, you know, Phil did all the strings, did a bunch of string arrangements for the Portugal records, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and now does, like, um, you know, Phil um, and his sister did a bunch of string playing and arranging on like um, the Taylor Swift records and just a, like they do a lot of big big um, you know top 40 uh, pop artists string arranging um, so everybody was just sort of like doing different things and whatnot and at that point in time um, you know I was basically just trying to figure out like what the heck to do um, and I had been talking with um, Kaminsky you know who 
manage Gaffey and yeah. um, KK and stuff, and, and he was just talking about, you know, like, hey, what would be what might be really cool is, you know, I know that um, you showed an interest in it, you know, prior when we bring it up, but, um, you know, really thinking about moving down to L.A., and like working with, um, you know, some songwriters and stuff. And at that point in time, Mike had a really good, um, connection, um, with a publishing and songwriting firm out of LA called Pulse. And they were working with like Skrillex and Diplo and, um, Katie Perry and just, you know, a bunch of big artists. And it was, it was like, you know, if you want to get into this, like they have a bunch of young, um, producers and songwriters that, you know, you could get a lot of time with right now mm-hmm. and then we could all something cool. And so I was like, man, maybe that sounds awesome. And, you know, Rachel and I were a little up in the air about what to do at that time. Cause just at that point in time, the rents in Seattle were just like skyrocketing. And we knew like, man, at some point in time, like, you know, we're not going to be able to afford to live in sort of this core of Seattle that we've always wanted to live in and whatnot. Um, so it was just like, I basically decided like for a year I would go down to LA like every four to six weeks and just do like, you know, five to seven days each time when I was down there. Um, and just like work with as many people as I could and just like try to do the songwriting thing. And, um, uh, after doing it for a year, I was like, man, this experience is really, really fucking cool. Um, um, you know, I've met a lot of like really good musicians and, and, and guys that, you know, are cool down here, but at the same time too, it's just like thinking about like working in that, sort of environment at the time um, um, where it's like, you know, you're kind of expected to knock out a song or two a day and just like, you know, you get into these like sort of like lyrical circles of like, gosh, at that point in time it was like, you know, you have like, um, well, it's still kind of like this. I mean, you have like the, the breakup song, you have like the overcoming song, which everybody was like super big on at that point in time when I was down there because like Macklemore's like, um, um, you know, Seal and Can't Hold Us song was like oh, yeah. really so people are like you know like like Seal and Can't Hold Us like you know like, <laughs> like you like you reaching you know it's like everybody was like you know that that type of you know um, so it just got you got really you know sort of like um, I mean the same thing you would you would think of of any job that you just were sort of going to and sort of like going through through the motions where you know I didn't find um, a whole lot of it challenging I think the other thing too is like that you know the whole industry. <clears throat> It's all like people who are insane musicians. Like a lot of the people I was working with would be like these amazing jazz drummers. Like, dude, what the fuck? You, you fucking play? Like, what? Like, you know, he just like all of a sudden, like, there's a kid in the corner. Some, you know, the guy I'm working with for the last six hours just starts playing. I was like, dude, what is that? And then you get into the whole conversation about like amazing jazz drummers. Just like, I mean, there, you know, there's one session I did where you're listening to a lot of like, um, like really cool sort of like horn arrangements and different stuff. And then basically two hours later, you know, the songwriter has just kind of developed this sort of like scratched out, um, version of like a Daft Punk song. That's art that's been out for five years and stuff. And it's just like, man, like what, like what, uh, what were we doing? We were out, like, we we're talking about all this cool music and it's just, it's not, you know, like their fault. It's just sort of the environment that you know, it's like, Oh yeah. I'm like, I'm competing. You know, at that point in time, it's like Dr. Luke, is like really big, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know who the big like songwriter is, you know, right now. But at that time, he was like, but like everybody would be like, well, you know, like I'm doing this thing like Doctor Luke is like this, and he's got all these hits, you know. It's like, um, and then you know, there's also just like you're in like that sort of industry, which is like very sexist, very like. There's no like I, I rarely ever saw any women in any of these studios. Not there for a fucking year, you know. It's like um, you just hear these weird like 
conversations about like, you know, uh, at that point in time, I think like Carly Rae Jepsen was blowing up, and I listened to some dude like say the most horrendous shit about her, and she's like fucking seventeen, yeah, that. you know, just like like bros, like like, and it's just like I'm kind of, and it's just like one of the things with you know, um, uh, like dude, what the fuck are you saying? Is like. I don't fucking agree with anything that you're fucking saying. Why are you saying this to me? Like, you know, it's just like, it's just like, well, like, we're just in this room, like three of those type of guys who work in this industry. And you're just like the new guy is trying to prove himself for the day. Sure. It's just like, Oh fuck me. You know? Um, um, and yeah, just like bad characters. Like, <laughs> I can't even tell you like how many bad, like, like dudes who like, ah, yeah. Just like, you know, you, yeah, just these comments and just like, um, you know, I heard so much like, critique of um um song you know women female songwriters like looks i just it just was, it was like just fucking infuriating so it's just like after a year that i was the fuck this like like i'd love to live down there because like all my friends at that point in time were basically moving down there um or like even cross-country friends you know like i can't you know it's like all the guys from as tall as lions basically live in LA. like i'm trying to think of all the bands that like we used to jam with back in like the anatomy and sort of Portugal days like so many of those people like live in LA yeah. and like you know, work in the business and stuff and have um, really cool careers so it's just, like everybody was just kind of doing that at that time um, and you know Thomas is down there now too um, doing a bunch of like um, guitar section work and songwriting for um, other artists as well um, and so like uh, but I just after a year I was just like man this is just like I don't know if this is really me and then um, at that point too uh, Kiddo was diagnosed with his um, you know sort of like um, very nuanced uh, mild form of autism uh-huh. and so um, when his diagnosis happened you know um, basically when we got his evaluation um, from the um, autism program at uh, the UW Hospital here in Seattle um, you know Washington had way more programs for kids inundated in the public schools yeah. and obviously then California public schools had. And in that year that I've been doing the songwriting thing, you know, I've been down there like asking each songwriting session we did, it was like, Hey, you know, just cause you know, um, we're wrapping this time up or whatever. Like, I just want to ask you, I know you have a kid or whatever, like how are the public schools? And every answer I got was basically the same from all those guys who had a kid or two. It was just like, Oh, the schools are great. Well, I should cap that off by saying, the schools in our neighborhood are great. And then he's like thinking about, well, shit, dude, like you told me Beck lives three doors down from you. And that like, you know, um, fucking Jason Lee and like Adam Devine, like live around the corner and stuff too. And it's like, so it's like, well, yeah, of course. Like, like, yeah. Cause there's there's a lot of like PTA money and like, yeah. Like, so it just became this thing of like, if Rachel and I couldn't get into like a certain specific neighborhood or a certain sort of private school, um, with a scholarship for kiddo. Um, and that was just like a whole other beast to tackle versus like, Hey, those programs are already set and more advanced than what they have to offer in California here in Washington. So it just like made more sense. And then kind of right at that same time too, Rachel and I got into an artist wall, um, building here in Seattle that, um, has a little bit of a rent control thing going on with it just to help, um, artists out. Um, so we, you know, we had gone through like a panel presentation for it and we're kind of waiting to hear back. So everything just like kind of made sense. Um, but in that year I basically had kind of developed a, 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 one, I had learned a shit ton just about like 
modern production. Everything was KK and everything was um, casting and thing, you know, was like, um, you know, wasn't, um, I mean, they were in a lot of sponsors, like, you know, it was done on analog tape, like a lot of the, um, um, you know, you would do certain, you know, your guns, just like so much stuff was done um, sort of out of the box with all these other projects. So in that year, I just learned so much about just like modern recording, even though we were making these sort of like boring, very pop, four on the floor, um, to, you know, <clears throat> very derivative songs, like, um, watching these, all these dudes work, um, was crazy because you, you're just watching like, like freak copy paste, like, like just like watching dudes just like loop things. And like, um, there's an amazing, um, drummer that I worked with and I saw him literally like take samples off records. This was a huge influence for just the real about music stuff, but like take samples off, um, classic samples off records. And then basically, like, replay the sample on his own live drums or add certain other textures and different rhythms behind those samples and then layer them and then, like, edit his, you know, just edit the the old samples, which, you know, were never ever, like, recorded to a click or anything uh-huh. into, like, a click. And, like, he just, like, would do this shit lightning fast and make these drum sounds. But I was like, yo, what the fuck is that? <laughs> um, so it was like, I just learned so much. I went home and was like, man, I just, I don't, you know, I want to do a solo thing. I thought maybe something would like develop in a way. Maybe the thing to do is just kind of like, I don't know, do, you know, kind of do what the, the fuck I want and try to like make this amalgam of all these different influences and, and just kind of have this project that's solely mine. So I, so basically I had Emerald and Angels and that's kind of what I like started with. Okay. Uh, which the lyrics are just kind of about, you know, being, in between sort of like this idea of like, you know, going down to LA because, you know, there's obviously like this like work potential and sort of the, the lifestyle and, and all that stuff or just sort of like, um, you know, staying back, um, you know, in Seattle. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, I just, I finished the song with myself and then, um, Devin who played tuba and KK was going through an animation project or program at the university of Washington. And he's at, uh, Ohio state now, mm-hmm. um, at their like big animation school. But, um, and so basically, so one of his like final sort of projects that he did when he was doing that program at UW was, uh, the Emma's and angels animated video. Mm-hmm. So once I kind of had the single and that video together, then they just sort of like, uh, debuted the project being like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I'm just going to throw this out the wind. And it got a really good response. Um, and, um, and so, you know, so I was from, from there, but, um, you know, again, it was just me and I was like, you know, I really have no idea, uh, you know, um, what, I'm, what I'm, what I'm doing with this. I kind of even present this live. And so, um, you know, it's, Kaminsky had put me on like a show down in LA that was like totally sold out, and I remember like like this was so ridiculous because it was just like I had you know Emeralds and Angels plus like maybe seven other songs that we, I never released and we never play because they were so bad. But uh, <laughs> I remember like playing them off my iPad or off my phone and singing them, and then I brought the horns down to do like live horns and. um and then a buddy of mine down in LA who was like a big Gassy fan and hooked me up with a friend of his who is now like a big like um, Friday and Saturday night DJ at a big like you know pop station in LA this DJ dude was huge and he was just like yeah man I'll come down for like 
35 minutes and just scratch over some songs, whatever, because he never gets <laughs> it set on air. So he was like, dude, fuck, yeah, that's all you need me to do? So I was like, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to figure this all out. And I remember just like, and he was set. I was like, oh, my fucking God. Like, this is just like, you know, um, this is like, I just need to work on this fucking shit. But it was really cool to like go somewhere else that wasn't Seattle, do that, completely like fall on my face and, and just be like, oh shit, like, if I'm gonna fucking like do this, I gotta figure this fucking shit out. So there was just like, a, there was just like, basically up until maybe like a year ago, it's been me like trying to like figure out the live show. Um, and now, you know, cause, you know, again, I'm using in ears with click tracks and cues and all these backing effects and, you know, you know, um, which is something I've never used before. Um, uh, so just like, you know, there was just the point in time where it's like, oh shit, I gotta work and save up whatever the fucking thirteen, sixteen hundred dollars or whatever it is for the in system. Like it was just like there was a year of that. So it was just like, ah oh, shit. Uh, I gotta take like a fucking I guess I'll keep working on these songs, but I gotta take a little while and fucking you know, and it was just like one little thing like that after you know, kinda like um, figuring out how to do this. Um and um, you know, did the smoke by day video, which was super cool because I just got to go to LA and like, you know, wear a spacesuit and go to the desert and, and <laughs> walk around and get, and get filmed doing that. Um, but still, you know, even after releasing the Smoke by Day video and it's getting a response to people being like, yeah, okay, yeah, what's going on with this project? And then you got these two singles and two really, really well put together videos. And it's just like, yeah, man, I'm fucking figuring it out. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, like I was saying, I think like in the past year, um, you know, we actually have like, the full-on band, so live, of, you know, me playing bass and singing. Um, and that was another thing, like, um, the bass lines I could easily play just from having played, you know, on bass over, you know, one of all the projects that I've been involved in. But honestly, like, the first time I tried to play bass and sing, um, which was very apparent from doing, like, three shows just singing, I was like, dude, I'm not fucking like J- Justin Timberlake, I gotta be real with myself, I'm not just like, cause everybody in LA was like, I see you like, the cool guy, like, hey, by the pool, with like, all the cool people, and you know, it's like, that was like, everybody was pushing when I was like, walking and meet them, they'd be like, oh, well yeah, you should be like, the cool guy, and you know, I was like, sing about that, like, well, you know, like, whatever they want, they just immediately assume from just like, basically, like looking at me, um, was like, you know, I realized after two or three shows, I was like, oh, this is not fucking what, you know, I'm very, it's very apparent I'm crying really hard up here to do this. <laughs> and it's like, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that fucking hard, you know? Um, and so, you know, um, so then it was like, okay, well, you got to, you know, I shouldn't be playing bass. Like, that was kind of the, the initial thing that was like, on the Emma's and Angels artwork and just like the things I do really well and it's kind of inherent and all this stuff because, Everything else is basically synthesizers, um, drum loops, and then me singing and playing bass, and then um, doing the cuts and scratches, and then the, and then the horn section. You know, it's basically like essentially the recording process. So there's not really other much live instrumentation. And I'm using so many different synth patches and and you know different um, connections and stuff that it's just, it would be insane to. I mean, sometimes when I see Kyle with Portugal with like eight the 10 fucking keyboards on, yeah. up there I'm like hell yeah but I'm like I don't, know, I don't know how long it took Portugal to get 10 fucking keyboards up there so it's like you know it's like I just don't have that luxury right now or a fucking keyboard player 
for that matter, that has fucking 10 different, that can, you know, just immediately replicate that stuff all live. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was like, so I need to be doing something live. And then the bass thing was a huge eye opener to me too, but like the counterintuitive, uh, counterintuity of just like playing bass lines and singing because you don't have those additional three strings and the extra just like full on harmony in the, in the extensions of sort of these notes. And I just realized like, I think the first show I tried to play was like doing the bass without in ears. Like when I would hear a G note, um, you know, it's like I'm, I can't hear the full extension of like like the concert G major. So I'm just like hearing this, you know, this low note, or whatever. And I would just by the time like the backup vocal cues would kick in, I would realize like, yo, I've been singing this on three steps out of you know out of key. Just um, so it was like. I, you know, I, I basically had to spend a year um, just trying to figure out, like, basically reteaching myself to sing all the songs that we'd had from the EPs and stuff now, um, and play the bass at the same time without fucking it up. Um, and so, you know, um, but I feel super confident now in um, in the project. You know, we have the two EPs. The um, just to plug it real quick, we have the new um, EP vinyl, which is uh, up for pre-order. Um, on our website, and um, and we're having like the release show coming up soon here at the end of April. Um, it feels like finally, like oh man, yeah, I've got like this, you know, this like core band, and our live show is really well put together. And I'm like, you know, I'm actually really like telling people like, yeah, come check it out. Because before I was like, yeah, I'm playing a show, and then in the back of my mind, I'm like, but it's just so I can figure shit out. Yeah, Please don't worry don't about come. it. <laughs> 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 yeah, like. But please don't come see me fail right now. Just wait. Um, so, um, but yeah, so uh, it, it's it's pretty fun, cool, and just um, I've been you know working on the full length a lot lately, um, and I'm just really excited for people to like um, just hear what I've been doing because I think it's just weird. Like, I mean, uh, I have a video that's coming out for the song Duck Hit Duck on the newest or the uh, most recent EP and um, the guy who directed the video um, is an amazing um, photographer who works with a bunch of um, sort of performance artists who do just like crazy wacky performance art here in town um, and so I had hired him and he's not super familiar with any of the music stuff that I've done in the past I just was a huge fan of what he had done which is kind of like dude take the reins of this like really simple idea that um, you know I kind of just you know I'm just you know balloon the idea into something more um, he um, um, you know he was like asking me how, like dude well, what, I mean, how would you categorize like a song like Duck Get Duck and I was like fuck dude I don't know like maybe the prodigy meets the special and he just started cracking <laughs> up because he, like, he was like that is the weirdest fucking thing I've ever and I was like yeah I, know, I don't know how to explain to other people either but like <laughs> if you ask me you know you ask me the fucking man was, I was like yeah I was probably listening to the prodigy and the special <laughs> he was like oh gee um, but I but, um, but you know I was like super excited to hear I was for people to hear all this shit that I'm working on because um, I've kept most shit up to now um, with the project pretty close to my chest just because again I'm just like I'm showing you know and you know I'm starting all over yeah and I've never done a thing where where I'm not like you know Wild Love the Children was obviously like all that sort of 
you know, jamming together. And then JK was obviously Phil and, and Kyle and I coming together. And Gassy was definitely, you know, everybody adding, um, you know, their own personal touch to the, to the whole thing. And this has just purely been like, what do I think is cool? And sometimes yeah. that's not like everybody else thinks is fucking cool. So, <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, just, um, which is cool because I'm left on my own devices and I'm fortunate to have like the fan base um, from KK and Gatsby and Wild Orchid Children still kind of like tagging along with the real music stuff and watching like sell 200 copies of vinyl and whatnot. But, um, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's been a, it's been just a really cool um, learning experience and definitely some, uh, you know, uh, uh, finding myself in my thirties moment. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's, that's what it's all about though, man. I mean, it, you've done some cool shit. You continue to do cool shit. I mean, you've got such a cool story. I mean, we could do a part two of this. I mean, the, the, the story and the, the, yeah. I mean, it's just so cool. I mean, everything you've done so far and then now finally it's on your own and it's all up to you and, and you're taking it and running with it and literally just putting yourself out there. I mean, there's, there's, it doesn't get much harder than that. And at the same time, the success that comes from that is going to be so great because it's, you know, you did it, you did what you wanted to do, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, perfect. it's just fantastic. I, I, I really look forward to hearing the new stuff and, and, uh, where can people find, is it real Yeah. That has all the, that has all the links and, um, and all the stuff. Uh, and then, um, um, Obviously, you can follow us on Spotify because that has all the latest releases too. Okay, perfect. We're gonna have to do a part two of this, man. There's so much more I want to talk about because I, I. Yeah, uh, you have to get. You know, it's funny. Um, I know Kyle doesn't do a whole lot of interviews because it's not really like Kyle's not just a generally big interview dude, but he's like the best fucking dude in the world to fucking talk to. <laughs> oh, crazy. dude, I spent so yeah, many uh, hours talking to Kyle over in Europe and just bullshitting and. <laughs> <laughs> listening to him talk about like something like a Dean Koontz novel he's reading or whatever, The Husband. We had this joke about that because he said it when he explained it to you. He's like, yeah, he had this wife and he loved her so much. And we're, how much did he love her, Kyle? How much did he love her? And he's, he's like, oh, he loved her so much. And he was just so genuine about it. And he's just the, yeah, yeah. you're 100% right there. He's just the dude of dudes, man. And, and, uh, I think I remember him getting a tattoo on his chest at one point that we had him do, and we are all sitting around him, like, like making fun. Oh my god, we just made so much fun. Oh of yeah, him. he's coming home for yeah. Oh, he has some, shit. yeah, dude, yeah. Yeah, he and, I think he and Dave Shapiro have the have the worst tattoo. Oh god, Dave Shapiro, I, he's coming on the show too eventually. <laughs> I reached out to him, and uh, we're trying to. I just have so many people I want to talk to, and then it's such a limited oh, amount sure. of time for with kids and work and everything else like it's it, trying to squeeze these in but it's like my best part of my day you know like and uh, it sucks oh, yeah. you have to squeeze the best part of your day in but uh dude i really appreciate you coming on the show man i was so stoked when you wanted to do this and i i realized i was looking and i was like man why did i not reach out to kirk earlier and uh but i'm yeah, glad we'll we got to do time, it man so. i'm really glad we got to do it and we're going to do a part two because there's so much more we need to talk about i mean this is like tip of the iceberg stuff here, so let's plan on that because uh, I've, I'm loving this, dude. Hell yeah, man. It was great to talk to you, Dewey. Cool, buddy. Well, well I'll be in touch and uh, and let you know when everything's coming out and, and all that. And, and uh, Dude, right on. Thank you so much, Kirk. Yeah, man. Take care, bud. All right, buddy. Bye. Keep in touch.
All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kirk Huffman from Real Dawn Music, Gatsby's American Dream, KK and His Weathered Underground, Wild Orchid Children, so on and so forth. I love this dude. I said it in the beginning. I love this dude a lot, and I had a great time chatting with him. There will be a part two. If you are listening on Adobe, go to iTunes, rate, and subscribe so you do not miss the full versions coming to you. This did go a little long, so that full version will be up at the same time you're listening to this on iTunes and everywhere else, Apple Podcasts, and uh, literally everywhere. So once again, big thank you to Kirk Huffman for coming on the show, my good friend, and you know coming back and reconnecting and having some hilarious stories and bringing you guys into the know on what he's doing now with Real Dawn Music. Check out Real Dawn Music online, check him out on the socials, and follow Kirk and all he's doing. I'm so glad to have you guys back week after week. I really appreciate having you. Check out rockabilia.com. And as always, we'll see you on the radio. This is Blasco, host of A New Level, part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. In A New Level, I talk with my network of friends and colleagues who have worked with some of the biggest names in music, including Slayer, Pantera, Refused, Rob Zombie, and many more. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com.